0: Good morning, Point Community Church. It is so good to see you here this morning. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, I want to just start off this morning, be- actually start off by dismissing. They're already dismissed. So first through third graders, you're welcome to head to the back. Parents, if you've not yet signed them in, uh, please do so for just for security reasons. But first through third graders, you're welcome to head back to Miss Danielle. I'm excited. I know Griff has mentioned something of this, but... Uh, they're going to be preparing some songs. We are in Christmas season. Yes! Christmas songs, and uh, they're going to be singing some of those uh, coming up here as we get closer to Christmas. But uh, I do want to say this. Lest we neglect the, the national holiday that we enjoyed this week, Thanksgiving, uh, what a wonderful time of fellowship we had last Sunday night. And I I just want to thank every single one of you, specifically, I mean, those who came, but also specifically those who served Jesus by serving Jesus' people. Those who who came and served that wonderful food, who cooked it, who prepared it, and then who served it. Would you join me in giving them a Thanksgiving (laughs) applause? I had a picture, and maybe we'll have to show it next week. But every time we have these fellowship gatherings, a big smile comes across my face by our brother Nick Nickabocker and his wonderful wardrobe, uh, his choices, um, pink apron and all. But I will show that next week maybe. I meant to show that today. It didn't make its way here. So we'll find a way to do that next week. So please take your Bibles if you've not done so and turn to the book of Romans in chapter 6 this morning. We're on our journey through the book of Romans. If you're visiting with us, I'd like to say welcome. It is so good to see you here today. Um, Whether you're visiting with us or regular attenders here, whether you're worshiping, uh, following the study online or on the radio, we're so thankful that you took the time this morning to study God's word with us. And this morning we will be in the book of Romans in chapter 6. We have... Walk through the book of Romans since I believe April. A couple side excursions. Most recently we took some side excursions in the book of Ephesians. I hope you enjoyed that. I I know God used that in my life, but um, back in Romans today, if we could just highlight, and you can turn your hand out over. By the way, my wife Hannah says, man, you got to let us know when you're done with your introduction. (laughs) She's like, I'm, I'm sitting there waiting to fill out these, uh, these blanks here, and you're like 30 minutes in, and I haven't filled out anything. So just so you know, we're going to spend about 15-20 minutes in review and kind of introduction, and then we'll get into this passage today. But there's some necessary things we need to talk about before we actually get into the passage today. And one of them is to remind ourselves, every time we open the Word, we want to remember ourselves that there were some chapters that got us to chapter 6. There were some key truths that we've been talking about, particularly Key truth number one is this, as you see on your outline. Because of sin, all humans deserve condemnation, and all human beings need a rescuer. Very clear in chapters 1 through 3 that every single human being stands condemned before a holy God and needs a rescuer. And then we come into the end of chapter 3, driving us all the way to chapter 5, and the beauty of another key truth, and that is this, that through the Rescuer, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, all true believers experience this wonderful word, justification. What is this? This is a declaration of righteousness that is by grace alone, through faith alone, In Christ alone you cannot earn this justification it is only by God's grace so we took some time to interact with these truths in chapters 3 through 5 now what where do we go from here we've talked about this a lot of theology and maybe you've interacted with this in churches you've grown up in but a lot of churches or theology will focus in a big way on the first five chapters of the book of Romans you are a sinner you need a savior My brothers and sisters in Christ, we must remind ourselves often that there are 11 more chapters. And this is beautiful stuff. God Almighty doesn't just send us on this journey and say, hey, good luck. No, He is with us every step of the way. And this journey is what we know as sanctification. Technically, and I think this is also on the back of your handout there, what is this Sanctification. In a technical sense, it means to be set aside for a purpose. I love this. So we talk a lot in Christianity and Christian circles about your purpose in life. Okay, here's what your purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ is. And actually it's called this, the will of God, even your sanctification, Paul, to the church of Thessalonians. But this sanctification means to be consecrated. It means to be made holy. In a theological sense, it is the process of spiritual growth by which all true believers are progressively consecrated away from sin and towards Christ-likeness. Okay, that's a lot of words. What does that mean practically? What's that mean for you and for me tomorrow morning? Here's what it means. We are in a battle. An all-out battle for purity, for holiness, for obedience. This battle is in the life of every true believer who is growing in Christ. It is a battle against the temptations of your old self. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life... Every single day that you wake up, you, my friend, if you are a child of God, you are in a battle. Some of you understand that and realize that more than others. But that old, those old songs we used to sing as we were kiddos in the kids program of being a soldier of Jesus Christ, it is true. You're in a battle against your flesh every single day. Please understand, for the next two minutes, some clarification is needed. When you talk of sanctification, there are some things we need to understand. And I'm going to try to bring these up every time we talk about sanctification, because this is so important. Sanctification is the now what of justification. We have to remember that. It is the now what of salvation. Why do I say that? It's because you cannot go through sanctification if you have not received new life in Jesus Christ. Pure and simple. Why do I say that? It's because there is a mass of world religions that switch that around. Please understand that. World religions say you have to get everything in line first. You must... Do all of these penance, you have to do all these things, all these prayers, get all of these things just right, and as that happens, then you will be declared righteous. My brothers and sisters in Christ, that is not in the holy text of Scripture in the Bible. The Bible says that we are declared righteous, and because of this repentant faith that we place in Almighty God through Jesus Christ, salvation that comes, now we live differently. Now that is sanctification. So a massive point of clarification is this. Sanctification is the now what of salvation. Here's another point of clarification. Sanctification starts at the exact moment of justification. Think of it that way. When you are declared righteous, guess what happens at that exact same moment? Just like the explosion that sends the rocket into space. (laughs) That journey. That explosion, justification that changed everything in your life, sends you on that journey. It starts at the exact same moment. Justification, the declaration of of righteousness, starts you on this journey of sanctification. Why is that important? Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is very important because of the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. There's not some gap between your justification and your sanctification where we're waiting for some uh, supernatural, ecstatic expression of the Spirit, and now you start your sanctification. Or you're waiting for some crisis moment of submission, and now you start in your sanctification. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's very clear in Scriptures that when you come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, that sanctification starts at that exact moment. You are on the journey of God's grace. So, sanctification is for every true believer who has come to Jesus Christ by grace through faith. To summarize, sanctification is inseparably, or inseparably flows from sanctification. Sanctification is to some degree or another present in the life of every true believer because of the Holy Spirit. And then sanctification will always lead to, to a definite end. I love this. Hold on, because Roman eight, Romans 8's coming. It leads to glorification. That is the comfort of our sanctification. Because honestly, as we walk through this stuff today, you're like, ah We could sing, Oh, come all you unfaithful, every moment of every day. And we go through what we're going to work through today, these, these four imperatives in three verses. We're going to go through this stuff. And, and honestly, I, going through this week, and I'm like, I'm a big loser. (laughs) Failure. But that's why we have the promise of Romans 8 that God is doing something in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will take us all the way to glorification. As Paul says to the church of Philippi, Philippians chapter 1, He who has begun a good work in you, He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will finish it. So even though we're in this battle, God Almighty is the one that tells us what the end is going to be. Nonetheless, we are in this battle of sanctification. The last two weeks, and we're still on the back of your handout, the last two weeks, or last two studies, we've talked about the foundation for sanctification. What is that foundation? It is the fact that you have union with Christ. You are in Christ. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. That leads us into the mindset of sanctification, not only acknowledging the facts of sanctification, but choosing to continually remember gospel truths. Now today, we will advance the discussion into sanctification's effort. Question, have have you ever been around Christians that absolutely just seem so carefree about their spiritual walk. And I'm not talking about in a good way. They, they are so casual about sin. Even to the point of making you wonder if this truly is a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you ever been around Christians like that? And I might add this, maybe you have been there. Maybe you are there. Oftentimes, this nonchalant mentality is because of a basic misunderstanding of the connection between two words, these two, grace and effort. Verse 14 of this very same chapter, you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Well, sadly, I believe in contemporary Christianity, we have a gross misunderstanding of what grace is. The last 10 years, I've been digging deep into this, praying diligently that by God's grace, God would, would conform me to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, in a very real way. And I've been interacting with these two words, grace and effort. Somehow, in an attempt to beat legalism, the church has embraced a mentality that has made these Two words, almost mutually exclusive. In science or math, mutually exclusive means you cannot have both of these at the exact same time. That somehow, you can have either effort or grace. However, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that is not the teachings of the Word of God. I came across this quote, um, couple of writers and it's neat to see how one writer will disciple another writer so i i mean a lot of writers will say this quote but i think it tied it back to a guy named jp moreland uh he had been influenced by a guy named dallas willard and this is the quote i love this god has so used this in my life grace is not opposed to effort it is opposed to earning this is something we got to get in our minds you cannot earn the grace that we have found in Romans chapter 5, but somehow we realize that that grace that we receive, it almost demands something from us. It demands that we live differently each and every day. And as I've been interacting with this in my own mind, this has advanced to this. I mean, you might want to write something like this down because we're going to talk often of this when it comes to Romans 6 through 8. Grace is opposed to earning, but grace expects and empowers effort. Grace is not just good enough to get you into relationship with God. Grace keeps you in relationship with God. That's what Romans 6 through 8 is all about. You are not under the law, but under grace. But this grace comes, this grace in Romans uh, 6, 14, comes after we have just interacted with four key imperatives. Effort is dynamically a part of the Christian life. And that's where we're at in Romans chapter 6. Would you look with me this morning at this fact? Look at verse 11 with, with me if you would. I'm just going to read these three verses, three precise verses today. You can still find those on the back of your handout because we're still kind of there. Or in your Bibles or your devices. Verse 11, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. From this text today, we're going to analyze this key truth, and I'll just read this. Considering the now what of salvation, all true believers must put diligent effort into into their battle for personal holiness. So, let me just highlight a couple of these phrases. All true believers. Again, we go right back to this. Sanctification is not optional, it is for all true believers. To some degree or another, sanctification will be present in the life of every true believer. If it is not, there is biblical grounds to doubt whether justification is even present. And brothers and sisters in Christ, I am not teaching some kind of legalism. If, if you doubt that, then go back and let's just listen to the first five chapters that we've, as, we, as we've exposed those. That's not what I'm teaching. But if there's truly an expression of grace in your life, then you're going to see a difference in lifestyle. That is the Word of God. All true believers must put diligent effort. Why do I say diligent effort? Well, you might be saying, well, isn't this a passage on submission? Reckon yourself to be dead to sin. Present yourselves not to sin, but to God. Isn't this somehow a passage on submission, not action? Well, I would say yes. But you have to understand that these are truly present imperatives. These are commands. It is not an either or here. It is a both and in sanctification. It is submission to God and daily effort in the battle. If you want to put it a different way, it is submissive effort to God every single day. Not to earn grace, but because of grace. And then it is a battle for personal holiness clearly in these verses, we are entering into the warfare mentality, the terminology that will drive the discussion for the next three chapters. Honestly, as you go through and you look at the different terms that the Apostle Paul uses, we're entering into the battlefield terminology. Um, We spent some time this week just hanging out as a family, had a great time, and uh, we watched, again, one of my favorite movies. I don't, embrace everything about this movie and it sounds awful but some of you have seen it Hacksaw Ridge <laughs> it's not a horror movie it's actually a very good military movie and I love this the preparation that goes into this so my mind's been thinking on this military strategy all week and just gritting in and this battle terminology and that's really where we're headed in Romans 6 through 8 And how do you, you're like, well, where do you find that? Well, look at the verse here. Twice in verse 13 we find, present your members or don't present your members as instruments. That word instruments can be translated tools. But in this context, very likely it's talking about weapons. Don't present your body as a weapon for unrighteousness, but present your body as a weapon for holiness. That's where we're at here. So it is a battle for personal holiness every single day. Considering the now what of salvation, all true believers must put diligent effort into the battle for personal holiness. Now, for the remainder of our time today, the next two hours, let us go. Let us. Some of you are laughing, but some of you are like, "No, he's not joking." Now, let us go to the next three verses. And we will, I will introduce some imperatives here. So you've been ready for these imperatives. Well, here they come. This is so good because we've had 148 verses of description. Now we have three verses with four imperatives. Honestly, these are the first imperatives in all of the book of Romans. And they come in chapter 6. We'll start off with this lead. Sanctification's effort is seen as believers diligently. Number one, first imperative in the book of Romans, first formal imperative is consider their new identity. This is found directly in verse 11. We talked of this two weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend as much time on this one, but here's the point Paul makes verse 11 so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus in the battle for personal holiness and purity a battle against the flesh we're actually called to remember think on this don't just acknowledge the facts when you come to church on Sunday morning when you get together with your life group or when you sit down with the word of God in the morning and study, it's not just recalling at those times the facts of the scriptures. It is an imperative that you remember God's gospel grace every moment of every day. Now what is this gospel grace? I am in Christ and Christ is in me. This is no longer I who live as Paul says in Galatians chapter uh, 2 verse 20. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ in me. And we must consider this new identity. Paul says you must consider. This is a present imperative. It's an act of command. It means to deeply consider. And the South, as my sister reminded me last time, your translation will say reckon. <laughs> I reckon. Some of you might have gotten that, but anyway, we are far west here. It means to reckon, uh, this this is a wonderful word, it means to calculate, it means to count. This is great because it's a mathematical equation here, a mathematical term, this whole term reckon or count or calculate. It means work through the mathematical equation. However, it doesn't stop there. You all remember in high school when you're working through whatever algebra or whatever you were in and you're like, why in the world am I working through this? Makes no sense, and your mom and dad will tell you because it's teaching you how to think, right? And you're like, ah, but I've already gone through like 3,000 of these equations. Well, this is the beauty of this equation, that this equation is to be used for daily life. What do I mean? In a construction project, as you calculate what's happening on that project, you're going to calculate every inch of the space. You're going to put plans together. This equation means something. And what happens after you make this equation? Every day you're going to go back and look at the result of this equation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is this passage. Calculate yourself to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. Every day you look at the plans. I've got to save my soul from hell. He's given me new life. That's this word. Dead to sin. I've been made dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then let's go on to this next one. We already spent time on that first imperative. What's the next imperative in this passage? Refuse to let sin rule you. Wow. Wow. This comes, obviously, in the form of a negative imperative. So refuse to do something. But here's what it says. Refuse to let sin gain traction and have power over you. How does Paul state this? Verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Can you let that sink in for just a minute? Refuse to let sin entice you and enslave you. Don't let sin get you. The word reign is an important word. It means to obtain royal power, to like be king or supreme. The temptation and sin of this world has had you long enough Your mortal, unregenerate body has now been rescued from its penalty. You have a new king, so don't get duped by your old king's power. Sin. Don't let it get you, Paul is saying. I believe Paul talks of this very strongly in the book of Corinthians. Second book of Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 4. He calls these type of sins, I believe, strongholds or fortresses in the lives I mean how does he say it for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy what strongholds these are those sins that so easily beset us I believe the author of Hebrews talks about they get you Hebrews 11 they get you the ones you maybe struggle more with than the person across the room from you but that person is struggling with a certain sin that someone over there might not struggle with as much. These are sins that get you. And Paul says, don't let these sins reign in your mortal bodies. That is an imperative. The fact is, Satan is looking not only to entrap you with sin, he is looking to enslave you to your sin. The facts are staggering, and I'm not going to share them now. Um, my, one of my former soccer coaches, a very godly man, and he does seminars on the effects of pornography in the lives of men. And it traps you. The reality of this quote is so good, I love this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. You ever heard that one? Ironically enough, this is so good for any of us, even in spiritual leadership. The author of that is unknown, the one who first stated that, but there's a man who embraced that quote for years in his life, quoted all the time at his conferences. His name was Robbie Zacharias. If you know a little bit of the history of what's happened in, the li- in his life before he passed and what was exposed before and after he's passed, you see that these are sins that easily entrap us. They get us! And what is Paul saying Don't let that sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. And then Paul continues his thought with another negative imperative. Here's the negative imperative. So good, especially with the military warfare mindset that we're into right here in these passages. He says this. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. I mean, the simple phrase there. Do not present In other words, do not choose to offer yourself as available. It's like a soldier choosing to put himself in a position to be assigned for duty. I'm ready, I'm willing, put me on that list. No, don't present yourself to sin. It's like the employee putting her name on the list to volunteer for possible overtime during the holiday seasons. No! Don't put yourself on that list for sin. Don't make yourself available. Don't present yourself. Um, a lot more that we could say about this, but I remember as a young man uh, sitting there. I was a little, little critter. My dad would go preach at different camps. And I remember this because I would sit there and he'd preach to these teens and he'd be like, Y'all teens need to—he wasn't southern—so you teens need to remember something. You need to practice looking in the mirror every day and saying one word: no. And everybody laughed, and he and he was serious. I mean, he's sitting there and he say, say it different ways: no, 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 thanks, no. And he'd go through that to prove a point. I'm going to tell you one of the best gifts I've ever received in my life was a couple years ago. Uh, it made its way into either Christmas or my birthday, but it is this device. You ever seen one of these? The no button. I think this Christmas every Christian needs to get one of these. Why? Because this so reminds us of our interaction with sin. Refuse to let Sin reign in your mortal body. Do not present yourself as a servant to sin. Instead, when that sin comes your way, when I'm tempted to be angry, when I'm tempted to look at that sight that I know I shouldn't, when I'm tempted to kick the dog, Well, you get the picture. No, what an appropriate word in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. Refuse to be duped by the sin that we've been rescued from. Do not present yourself. He uses this terminology. We already kind of touched on this. Do not present your members. Specifically, this is your body parts. More generally, it's your body. Don't present your body to sin. Don't choose to put your body on the availability list to what? Well, he says it, to sin, to disobey God's clear commands. If you have doubts about what is on Paul's mind here with sin, then go back to chapter 1 of Romans and read through it very carefully. These are sins that Paul's talking of. If you have doubts about this, then you'll stick with us because we're going to get into these things in Romans chapter 7. And Paul says, do not present your members to sin as instruments. I love this word. It is as a tool, as we've already talked about, as a weapon. As a weapon for unrighteousness. Do not present your body as a weapon for activities or actions that are not in conformity to God's holy nature, His holy character, and His holy expectations for His new creations. Put all of this together. Refuse to put yourself out there to be available to sin. We'll see this again in Romans chapter 13 in a couple years from now romans chapter 13 verse 14 i love how paul says this but put on the lord jesus christ and do not make provision for your flesh to fulfill its lusts don't set the table for sin practically how does this work if you struggle with fornication do not put yourself on the availability list by going on that date to that club to that home to that bedroom if you struggle with addiction of alcoholism, do not present yourself to its enticements by putting it in your shopping cart. If you struggle with slander, refuse to present yourself to your phone list when you're frustrated with someone or something. If you struggle with porn, refuse to make yourself available to that sin by searching random sites on your phone, especially without accountability. You get the idea. Paul is saying, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to obey it in its enticements, its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. My friends here today, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of God. But there's a positive imperative to this, and I love this. So the three imperatives in these verses, number one, Consider your new identity. You're a Jesus person. Number two, refuse to present yourself to sin, to let it rule you. Number three, oh, I love this. Submit yourself to God's ownership. For so the gracious God who saved your soul. How does Paul say that? Verse 13. Present yourself. Uh, I'll start with the first part, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but, now the next imperative, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Weapons for righteousness. Present yourself to God. This is the exact same word that we already interacted with. All right, so it means to choose to offer yourself, to make yourself available. So in this case, when it's not talking of sin, but when it's talking about righteousness, you're the first one to sign up on that list. You're in the front of the line with your hand going, yeah, me. Present yourself for righteousness' sake. Why? Why? Because you have been chosen, he says this clearly, as those who have been brought from death to life. He's rescued you. Even though you don't deserve it, you've been graciously given a chance to live eternally. You have been rescued from the pit of depravity and despair. If you doubt this, go back and read Romans chapters 1, 1 through 3. You have been given new spiritual life. So now present yourself for duty to the king that rescued you. That's what Paul's saying here. Some of you already are jumping ahead to Romans chapter 12. We're in the now what of salvation. That's the so what of salvation. So get ready because he talks about that in both passages. This leads to the rest of this verse. He says, and your members to God. Again, this is speaking of your body. Your body parts but generally speaking your body present willingly regularly even aggressively with this active imperative choose to present your body to god's use as instruments for righteousness as weapons for righteousness and god's holiness as a soldier of the cross willing to fight for whatever it means to maintain personal holiness in my own life To fight for something that means something to God. (laughs) And that is conformity to his plan of holiness. To fight for something that means so much to God that he would send his son to die on the cross for that sin. Because he sent his son to die on the cross for that sin, I'm going to fight with all I have against that sin in my life brothers and sisters in Christ, practically this happens every moment of every day. As much as you want me to stand up here and be like, oh, God promised such an easy path. A bed of roses, a bed of ease is what they say, a trail of roses all the way leads us to heaven and we'll be just dancing with the angels in the, in the clouds. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this is battle. It is battle against our flesh. I'm going to give a precursor to what we're going to find in romans chapter 7 and 11 because this is so beautiful you're not battling alone guess who god almighty sent to empower you to indwell you is the holy spirit of god but wait because we'll get there in romans chapter 8. we are confronted with this question hundreds of times during the day and here's the question Will I submit myself to my flesh or will I submit myself to God's holiness? Will I submit myself as a weapon for unrighteousness or will I submit myself as a weapon for righteousness? This applies to everything in life, everything. The places I go. The things I watch, the thoughts I think, the words I speak, the sounds I hear, the gestures I use, the entertainment I appreciate, the substances I enjoy, the images I post, the friends I keep. This applies to everything, everywhere in the life of a believer. And the question is, do I present myself as available to God, or do I present myself as available to sin? How you flesh this out is going to look a little bit different in some of our lives. I keep saying we're getting to this, but we will, and that's going to be found in Romans chapter 14, some of the specifics of this. Nonetheless, we must ask ourselves this question, as a so what. Okay, how is this going to make any difference? Man, you brought it on strong, Pastor, today. Well, these are imperatives from the scripture. We've been waiting six chapters to find some clear direction like this, and now we get them, and for three verses, four imperatives. So what? Well, I think we need to ask ourselves this. The question I've been asking myself, nonstop, are you putting diligent effort into the battle for personal hol- holiness? You. If you've come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, are you preparing yourself for the battle and entering into the battle? Every single day. Now we must remember this, that the first step in all of this is that you're enlisted. You must be saved. You must place your faith in Christ and be given a new identity. You cannot even adequately step into the battle one moment against your flesh until you are a new creation of God and He's indwelt you by His Holy Spirit. So the question I have for some of you in this room who have, faithfully come to these studies, and you're wrestling with your relationship with God. If you have not come to Christ in repentance, saving faith, would today be that day? Would you come to Jesus Christ today? That you truly would be given a new identity? Then the next step, based on the fact that God has rescued your soul and indwelt you with His Holy Spirit, will you Put diligent effort this week into battling for personal holiness. Friends, we must remember these are not New Testament suggestions, but we went through today our New Testament imperatives. These are commands from Almighty God. So will you refuse to make yourself available to sin, and by God's grace, will you intentionally make yourself available to God's plan of holiness Putting effort, diligent effort into your relationship with God and the battle for holiness every single day. Come back next week as we consider the rationale of sanctification's slave. Today the soldier, next week the slave. God, thanks for the time we could spend in your word. This is so appropriate. Lord, as I've been praying and working through this, even in my own life. I, I feel like we live in a Christian culture that so waters down these type of imperatives. Oh, God, give us grace. You have made us new creations in you, and so now God, not in a legalistic way, realizing we, can, we can't earn any favor from you, but with an attitude of gratitude and grace that we would go to battle against our flesh every single day. Those looks, that anger, that deception, those lies, those thoughts, those words, give us grace to battle. My friends here today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, would you bring this to God's throne of grace right now? You know where you're at in your battle. What have you let slide? In your own daily battle with sin, what have you in such a nonchalant way let creep into your life to now, whether you realize it or not, to gain some kind of a stronghold? Would you pray that God through His Spirit would light a fire in your life that you would battle afresh for personal purity and holiness? This is not in some judgmental, legalistic way. No, no, no. If we read that into this passage, we miss something big time. This is in a heart of humility and grace. God has transformed our hearts. Now we should live differently. Would you commit your battle to the Lord right now, this week? Battle is when you go to work and school. Battle is when you're on the sports field. I'm going to tell you, I feel like so often the battle most happens in the home. We cannot let our guards down you pray God's grace this week as you battle the flesh, the world, the devil? Then as we close with uh, a word of encouragement, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hold on to that this week. Praise God for his spirit that has empowered this daily battle to give us grace to walk in newness of life. There are some here today that may be battling still your eternal destiny. God is calling you. God is drawing you. Would today be the day when you come to Him in saving faith? There will be several of us that will be hanging around here, whether chaplains at the front or elders in the back or around. Would you find someone today to talk with us, uh, to talk to, talk more about If you have any questions about your eternal destiny being a new creation in jesus christ so god we thank you for the passage we can interact with today so appropriate (laughs) this is theology with shoes on (laughs) thank you and i pray today god as we leave these doors we would realize that we serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has already won the victory. And he will come to bring an exclamation point on all of this. So give us grace now as we wait patiently for his return, as we battle the flesh every single day by grace. Thank you for your goodness and grace in revealing this passage to us today. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things today. Amen.